We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support, and now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. F. Scott Field, and we've got an amazing story for you tonight. This is really cool. It's been a long time in the works. We wanted to change things up a little bit. We wanted to give you a little different perspective, and so we've got an amazing guest on tonight who's here to talk about something that everybody's been talking about lately, the COVID-19 virus. I want to bring on tonight Susie Poole, nurse practitioner. Susie, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell our audience a little bit about your education? educational background and how it kind of led you to where you are today doing what you do? Sure. So initially I got a bachelor's degree in psychology and I minored in French at the College of Charleston. I initially kind of intended to go to medical school. So right after I went to College of Charleston, I decided to get some real world experience. I went to the medical university and worked at the Institute of Psychiatry. Whenever I was there, I started working with patients and I realized that physicians didn't spend a whole lot of time with the patients there. Most of the patients were really quite sick. Most of them had schizophrenia, pretty serious bipolar disorder. Most of them were hallucinating. And they were really quite terrified and it was a teaching hospital. So they really kind of had a full entourage with many students. The patients were really quite terrified and I just really felt bad for them and they would only spend a few minutes with them. And granted, this was maybe not their initial interaction with them, like the first time they met them, but that's usually what I saw. And so I really wanted to have a chance to spend more time with patients. And maybe that was just my limited interaction of what I saw, but and not to say anything against <laughs> physicians or anything like that. But that was just my, you know, straight out of school, my first experience. And that really just wasn't what I wanted to do. So I wanted to do something where I could still do diagnoses, still be able to prescribe medications, but also have the chance to maybe spend more time with patients and still do nursing. And so that's really why I ended up going back to school. And so I ended up going back to NUSC, ended up getting a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, and a doctorate degree. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I kind of felt the same thing. I had an idea I wanted to get into the medical field, but I wasn't sure how I was going to do it. And it wasn't going to be med school. Uh, So physical therapy was the route that, that I ended up taking. But Susie, you know, you had an amazing and an incredible journey recently, and you documented such a great deal of it. And that's how I kind of found you through social media. Could you tell our audience a little bit about your story and what it was like going through your bout with with COVID-19? So I ended up testing positive on April 2nd. So whenever I tested positive, there weren't really many cases around here in South Carolina, or at least the part where I 
live. I live in Beaufort, South Carolina, but I actually work in, um, there are actually only two positive cases in the county that I work in at the time. And so I knew exactly who I was exposed to because there was really only one patient that had tested positive in our office at that time. So contact tracing was quite simple back then, much unlike it is right now. So initially I started out with pretty basic, almost allergy kind of type symptoms. It would kind of wax and wane. I started to have an elevated temperature. We just started uh, doing temperature checks in the office. I didn't actually have a fever initially. So just kind of in the early 99. I'd actually, um, before this all started, I would have started getting my own kind of baselines just because I was worried about COVID-19. So I really knew what my baseline temperature was, which is 97.3. So I knew kind of when it was going up in the 99s that that was unusual for me. I wasn't really paranoid or anything about it, but I knew that it was it was abnormal, at least just for me. They ended up sending me home, and then it happened just that night that I completely lost my sense of smell. And that was really kind of the beginning where we're still learning about the, the sense of smell. But I felt pretty confident at that point because I really had a strong sense of smell, and I've had allergies my whole life. Never completely lost my sense of smell. So that was a pretty strong indication to me that I had it at that point. They ended up testing me the next morning, but it took another four to five days for me to get my, my test back. But from there, it was just kind of a myriad of symptoms. I had a cough, like I said, kind of allergy symptoms. And then it just kind of went from head to toe pretty much for the next several weeks. Cough, chest pain, headache, fever, muscle aches. I had neurological type symptoms, kind of burning all over. I had face rash. I had kind of bright red, almost like rheumatoid arthritis type symptoms, bright red, swollen joints, shorts of breath, uh, GI issues, nausea, diarrhea, pretty much everything except, you know, I never had to be hospitalized, never had like severe shortness of breath, I never had to go on oxygen, never had like the COVID toes or any serious vascular, I'm still having some little vascular issues, but I never had severe vascular issues, I never had blood clots or anything like that. I did end up within that first week or two posting thing on Facebook just because it was so new and I felt like I kind of had a duty as a healthcare provider to let people know. People didn't know much about it at that time. This was kind of before it became so politicized and the whole hoax thing came about. I wasn't too worried about any of that at that point, but I just felt like I had a duty. And so I just basically daily started posting things and, and ended up getting like over 2,000 shares that, that first post and then went kind of viral. I did that for about a month. Yeah, I, that's how I, I found you was just through your social media postings. And like I said, I can't thank you enough for that because it was amazing to follow your journey and just kind of watch that. And I was, I was truly interested. We'll talk about this in a minute here, but, you know, especially coming from a healthcare provider and going through, I just felt compelled by your story. I felt like, okay, this is something I really am interested in because she's doing a very good job documenting this and, and really, um, you know, giving a non-biased opinion on the journey through the, through the virus. So I was so appreciative of that. Do you think that being a nurse practitioner and being a healthcare provider, do you feel like that helped you get through that virus? Do you, or do you feel it hindered you? What do you think the effect was on that? I do think it helped. I think that's a really interesting question because I do think it certainly could hinder people, certainly, because you can get in your head. I have really good co-workers. When I was a student, I actually worked at the same place or not worked, but I was a student there. So I've had, I've had a long established relationship with some of the my coworkers there. So I was able to talk to them during this process. You know, they, they made me feel very comforted, you know, whenever I had questions or I would say, do you think oxygen will help? Or do you think this is appropriate? And, and they would, you know, talk 
let me know what was going on. But I know I think it helped. I really prepared ahead of time, just thinking that this was a, a very strong possibility that it was in my future. I honestly didn't think it was going to be that close in my future. Um, I never thought I would happen that quickly. I was so careful. I thought I was so careful. I mean, I was very careful. But, you know, I had all my medicines filled, you know, a month in advance. Any medicine I could possibly think of, you know, any kind of acute type thing. You know, like I had nausea medicine, like prescription nausea medicine ready. I had prednisone ready. I had, you know, just anything that you could possibly think of, I had ready. You know, I certainly didn't think about like having muscle spasms or, or some of the other things that I ended up having, some of the joint stuff that I ended up having, but which luckily I had coworkers that helped me out with those things, what I called the, the fairies that were dropping things off at my porch and that would come about. But no, I, I think it certainly helped me. I feel like I was really well prepared. And one thing that I think really helped like, with my peak flow meter, something that can measure like, the breath out like for asthma, like I knew exactly what my norm was going into that. And I didn't really know exactly what that was other than because of COVID. I mean, I had one of those things, but I was not measuring that on a regular basis So those sort of things really did help me. You were super prepared. I really was prepared. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've worked at a skilled nursing facility most recently that uh, had a handful of cases and same thing. I mean, everybody at the facility was doing everything they can, gowning up, PPE, gloves, and the numbers just kept climbing and climbing. I mean, it's really, really hard once that starts spreading to, to stop that. But let's talk a little bit about this. You had mentioned that there was some kind of residual stuff kind of hanging around still, but how are you doing now on the back end of the virus? Uh, obviously, we don't know everything as far as what the long term looks like on this, but you know, you're having some little residual stuff still hanging around. Is that right? I am. I haven't talked as much about it. I'm just really just an interest to try not to scare away the patients, but um, all in all, I'm really doing quite well, but I'm still on metoprolol. Metoprolol is a beta blocker, which is a medicine that lowers your heart rate. So that's something that I have not been able to come off of. I've tried lowering it and it just, I really feel terrible if I've, I've tried to lower it at all. So it's definitely had some long-term effects on me and that's okay. I'm not letting that really get me down. I feel completely fine while taking it. So I'm just going to stick with that for now. I hope I don't have to take it forever, but if I do, it's just a pill that I take every day. So it's not really a big deal to me. I haven't really tried too much to resume exercise. I did recently take a, a sort of vacation. I mean, we went, we went to the Outer Banks, my family and I, and we just stayed there. We didn't leave the house other than going to the beach. <laughs> we took everything that we had. We didn't go to one restaurant. We didn't go anywhere. But there were four flights of stairs in the house. And so in that first few days, they really made me sick. Just even trying to go up a flight of stairs, it made me nauseated. It was really hard. But by the end of the week, I was able to go up four flights of stairs. So it's kind of like my own cardiac rehab. So I was really proud that I was able to do that. So it kind of shows me what I'm going to be able to do. There's not really any steps in my house. You know, a story house and in the low country in general, it's very flat. So I, it was like my one chance to kind of do my own little cardiac rehab there. So that was cool. And it's kind of made me see what I may be able to do, or maybe I need to, you know, if there wasn't COVID, I would go join a gym or something like that. But it's just, I'm going to have to figure out like what kind of program I need to maybe put my myself into to kind of rehab my heart. Yeah. Physical therapy can help with that. You just let us know. We'll, we'll hook you up. Yes, I do need to do something like that, for sure. You know, I've had some vascular issues, which I didn't even know I was really having until I've attempted to donate plasma multiple times. So 
had a bit of a vasculitis reaction the second time I donated plasma or attempted. I did actually go get to donate the second time. So my veins are just not quite back to normal. But other than that, carrying heavy things is, is hard on me. Like I just get really short of breath and I try to carry something heavy. So it's all heart related. But other than that, everything else is pretty much back to normal at this point. Well, good, good. Glad to hear that. Susie, what do you feel that healthcare providers need to know about the COVID-19 virus? And kind of a follow-up to that, what do you feel like the public needs to know about these healthcare providers that are having to face this on the front lines? One important thing I think probably the, the healthcare providers need to know is, I feel like there's kind of a gap as far as information in that everyone thinks, not well, not everyone, but that they're the people that get really, really sick or they get on ventilators, the people that die, or they're people that are asymptomatic, or they're people that get better in two weeks. There's a whole big in-between, like people like me. And New York City, they're doing a lot of studies out of Mount Sinai, long-term studies on what they call long haulers. You may have seen some articles about that. What they're showing is that 30 to 40% of people are having symptoms of four weeks or more. That's a huge percentage, 30 to 40% of all people testing positive, four weeks or more. I think that's just a really important thing to point out. I think a lot of people are kind of being dismissed in their symptoms, or they're being told that they have anxiety. And of course, it doesn't mean that they don't have anxiety, but you know, that these sensations or you know, people that have tachycardia or you know, other long-term symptoms or neurological symptoms or some of these symptoms are more difficult to measure than others, um, objectively as well. So I would just say, you know, and I would say to the, the patients that, you know, if you don't have a provider that's looking to you, then you may need to find another provider because there are providers out there that will listen. But I would say that, that that's a really important piece of information. So providers should really look for some of that information that's coming out of Mount Sinai because as far as I know, that's really the only place that has been studying because it's really the only place that has that kind of research bank of patients, you know, that have come up that long-term relationship study. Absolutely. I'm from New York originally, and, and we're from the Long Island area. Still have some family members up there. Definitely a lot of nursing family members up there. And man, they've been through it. It's been, it's been, I, I, there's just not even enough to say, you know, to, to thank them for, for all the hard work they've done and for all the healthcare providers that are having to go through this and battle this on the front lines. It makes putting the gowns on and the masks and the face shields and the gloves and just, you know, for me, I sweat in the snow. So I come out of those rooms just dripping wet. I can only yeah. imagine what it's like having to wear that stuff all day, every day. You know, like I said, it's, it, this has been super informative to me. I, I'm, I'm hoping that our audience will get a lot out of it as well. I'm sure they will. Do you have anything else that you want the audience to know? Anything as far as uh, if they have questions or follow up or anything, any last remarks before we let you go tonight, Susie? There was one thing that I wanted to bring up, and it was in an article that I read this morning out of Medscape, and the article was called, Who is Tracking Healthcare Workers Lost to COVID-19? And it was just an interesting article about the people, the healthcare workers that have died from COVID-19, and it's basically saying that we just don't know. All these different groups are trying to track, and they all have just incredibly different numbers. The uh, 
Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services reports that at least 767 deaths have occurred among the nursing home staff, which would actually make this the most dangerous job in America. And then we've got from National Nurses United, at least 1,289 deaths among all healthcare. So if we don't know where and how many people are dying, then the point is how do we prevent it? And we can't. So, you know, if we don't know where the infections or which groups, it's just a really important message. I think that we need to know, you know, where and how and why. And just kind of a, a shout out to all of the people that are working in healthcare and that are, you know, suffering right now and working hard for their families. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Susie. I mean, that, you know, is, is staggering. And it, again, physical therapy is not exactly uh, what you would consider a dangerous job at all. And yet now here we are face to face with this thing, getting up close and personal and trying to get these people up and moving again, helping with their breathing and their positioning. And, you know, we're, we're right in the mix of it. So it is scary. It definitely is. But I can't thank you enough for your time and for just coming on here to help educate our audience, uh, you know, filled with healthcare providers and healthcare educators on your journey with COVID-19 and all that you've experienced. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much yeah. for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks. Thanks again, Susie. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.